Welcome to Mastering Agility. If you want to listen to authentic conversations with the most inspiring guests, find like-minded people in the Mastering Agility Discord community or both online and face-to-face events, this is the platform for you. Grab a drink, sit back, and join professional scrum trainers Sander Dorr, Jim Sammons, and their guests in an all-new episode. Good morning, people. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Arthur. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah. Good morning. How is your Dutch, by the way? Arthur, you're Brazilian. You live in Belgium. How is your Dutch? My Netherlands is heel good, but that is heel moeilijk for me. Natuurlijk. As a Brazilian, is that ook heel erg lastig. So as a Brazilian, it's really difficult to learn the, the language, especially the, the, the Dutch G, like the G. Yeah, yeah. And I have the, the Belgium accent because I know that the R is different in Belgium and in Netherlands. I think you say more zeker and here's more zeker. Yeah, it depends on where you are in the country because you have different kind of accents. Jim, how's your Dutch? I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> nothing. Like I can speak it, can't read it, nothing. And I, I get emails, maybe not daily, but weekly for sure that are in Dutch. And I have to hit the old Google Translate button because I'm working with a client out of the Netherlands as well. So I will try and learn you, from both of you. If you need any help there other than Google, Arthur and I, we're your people. Good to um, go. I'm- I'm fluent in survival Dutch. <laughs> fluent in survival. This is something that I, I, I admire about you. So I know Arthur from conferences, from public speaking. We met up in Helsinki and we were having a blast. But something that Arthur does that I think it really stands out, makes him stand out from the crowd and something that I will definitely steal is like he starts his talks saying some lines in the local language. That's cool. So... Tell us more about that, Arthur. What are the things that you actually say? I, I try to stick to an introduction that is like, hey, my name is Arthur. I'm from Brazil. I live in Belgium. And maybe something about the country. And I love maybe specific food or specific beer or place. And then I finish with, and I don't speak this language. Uh, I think it's a nice way to break the ice, my ice, because then I'm doing something that is like so out of my comfort zone but also shows respect to the people there. They're like, all right, it's not just like Gute uh, Morgen or like just a good morning, bonjour, bonjour, but it's something deeper. And also linked to my goal before I die, I would like to learn 15 different languages. Let's say 10, that's quite good. And five, that is survival, <laughs> like my dad today. Um, so somehow I'm training my brain to get used to different sounds pronunciation and words, and I don't care how it's written. So what I do is I just, maybe before uh, flying to the country or as soon as I land, I start asking everybody, how do I say this and this and this? And I start trying with everybody. Newberg driver, the person in the cashier, person on the street, the dog passing by, uh, the person on the conference. <laughs> and I keep, I keep asking for feedback. Is it good? And it's like, oh, it's quite good, but maybe you can change this and this and that. So I keep adjusting. And I write on my Google Keep how I would say that in Portuguese. So the, if I show that to a local, they're like, what the heck is this? <laughs> but if I read in Portuguese, it's very similar to how it's written there or it's spoken there. 
Uh, and I think it's cool. It's a nice way to. And if I come back to the same country, I cannot do the same as before. It has to be at least one or two more lines. So I don't know. I'm silly. It's like me picking myself up. It's like, okay, let's go. Let's learn. <laughs> let's do it's some weird pre- stuff. It's a pretty cool thing. It's not weird because I think it lowers the bar for people to actually accept you, right? What I see over here a lot in this country, people are very uh, proficient in English. And therefore, it's, there is no actual need for you to speak Dutch. Because as soon as people notice that you do not speak the local language, they'll revert to English automatically. Oh, yeah, and yeah. it's annoying because if people put in the effort and they try to speak to say something in, in Dutch, in the local language, it feels uh, disrespectful to then basically destroy that effort by reverting to English. Just because... Yeah. I, you're not really uh, speaking Dutch really well, so let, 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 me, let me make it easy. No, you're trying to put in an effort. Then why take that effort down? I think it's more, it's, I don't think it's a, a, a Dutch thing. It's the same, I think, in France. Um, I think a bit here in Belgium as well. It's not the same in Brazil, for instance, because we love gringos. <laughs> so whoever is coming from outside, they say a few words in Portuguese, like, oh, that's cool, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, say more, you know, like we really, we really like that, but, um, it's basically because we don't speak much English. It's not that common. Um, but yeah, and I don't Portuguese think it's just is a beautiful stuff. language. It's, it's a nice one. I think it was the, it was ranked the number three of happy languages. I think the first one is Spanish. They did a kind of calculation, how many nice words they have like positive and that's used on the day to day. I think Portuguese was the, the third for Spanish and then maybe French, I think. Let's say that German was not the first. Nothing against German. That's just, just I'm talking about the, just the results of a survey. Mm. So the, <laughs> the floor in, in, the, in the audience. We have a virtual audience, so welcome, everyone. Uh, we have hey. people joining from all over the world, so we have different time zones. Uh, Jim's in Ohio, so I appreciate you being here uh, at, at this ungodly hour. It's, I, uh, I, I'm it's loving 4.30 it. over at your side. I, I'm, I'm loving it. It's 4.42 a.m. You know, I'm not 18 anymore. I used to be able... This used to be no big deal. It's not It's not the same anymore. Like, my body feels it. I'm going to pay for it all day. But that's okay. That That's how much <laughs> I like you too. <laughs> you still look like you're 18, so you're good to go. Look, look, look closer. Oh, Florence. <laughs> We've got Florin from the, from Romania, and he says Romanian is very much related to Portuguese. How is your ah, Romanian? I, I, I did an introduction there. Let me see if I remember, because I always have the notes here. So let me see. Uh, and then people can tell me in the, in, the, in the chat. By the way, I didn't know that there would be live people. You didn't tell me. Otherwise, I wouldn't join because I'd be so scared, so afraid, so shy. But now I'm there, so hey, everybody. That's nice. <laughs> good that you are there. You're nice. welcome. <laughs> I think, so I'm going to try the Romanian. I've been there two months ago or so. Salut, nomele meu est Artur Locuieschi in Belgia. Sunt brasilian. Exista o proposice care este ace ash in portuguesa și romana. Con un kilo de carne no se muere de fuime. Nu vorbesc romanește. Romanește. Mulțumesc. 
Now, I cannot be a judge here. I have <laughs> what you just said. So I'm just looking at the audience in the chat for, for Florin to, to judge whether he's actually able to, to understand what you just said. Yeah, look at Better that. Than my remainers. <laughs> he understood. I understood 100%. Yes. Nice. yes. <laughs> look at the notes. It's written really like I would read in Portuguese. It's yeah, it's almost like and phonetic, so that you can you you probably mentally trained yourself to to do that. Though, like I think that's really interesting. And um, I talked with Florin this week. Uh, we did a, a quick little prep session for something big in his life that he's working on, and so we connected. And that's really cool that um, that he can understand you. I I have a curi a curiosity around. When did you learn your first second language? How old were you? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, first about the phonetics and everything, we learn like that like a child, no? We don't learn like how to write first. It's first like just copying and that's really what I focus on when somebody's telling me or I press play on Google Translator. I'm really focusing on the phonetics. I don't care how I don't care about how it's written. Uh, and I think the second language was English, and I thought I knew it. I did 10 years at school there in Brazil. So you have all the books, 10 books, 10 levels, and I thought, okay, mm -hmm. you are declared fluent. Then I moved to Belgium. Mm, okay. So you, you I already... Now you're I had my first job. Yeah. No, and I had my first job, and it was terrible. Me, Arthur, Brazil, I, I flew, arrived a month uh, later ago, best. Uh, happy here to be and man it was terrible and I was uh, in the conversations <laughs> I was translating from English to Portuguese in my mind and then making the joke or the reply in Portuguese and translating back to English as soon as I would say back they were writing another topic so I didn't have any friends mm. like it was, I was the least nice guy because I couldn't have any timing I was always like ah, it's already too late yeah. It's nice, nice guy. You're one of the Hard, nicest, nicest guys I've ever seen. All right, I got my day. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. Well, the reason I uh, ask is I think that learning a language, it, the younger you do it, the easier it is for the rest of your life. And I, I think that the science backs me up on that. And my stepsister is, eh, she's probably 27 now, and she knows like, 17 languages. Now, there's a lot of Eastern Bloc languages like Czech and Polish, and she knows some Kazakhstani, wow. and she knows Romanian, and she knows this, but she's been traveling globally since she was two. She comes wow. from uh, parents who are Russian and American and all this, and it's just so normal to her. And she does a lot of things like you, like she, out of respect and interest in all this. And I would love to be like that, but I, and I have tried to, to learn languages and I'm not going to say I can't because I, I don't believe that's true, but I think the barrier for me to learn is just so high. And when I travel internationally, uh, I do some of the same things as you, but I, I'm just in awe of people like, like you and her that can speak so many languages and, and have goals to add to that. But it's also the, the amount the the amount of time that you actually get to practice, right? It's the same with my Spanish. Uh, yeah. I can read and write Spanish pretty. I'm not going to say fluent, but sufficient. But if I have to pronounce it, it's a different story. 
it's going to take me forever because I have to think about the words. And uh, I, I'm assuming that's the same thing with, with Romanian and with all the other languages. If you can practice, if you can actually apply it, then that's so, fine, you know. First of all, I don't speak Romanian. That's that's the, the thing I know. <laughs> let's let's uh, lower the expectations. But um, so I'm still flabbergasted about your, uh, was it her cousin? Who is she? 17 languages already? Stepsister. So she, stepsister, she achieved my goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much earlier, and she passed two. Just to say, like, no, I'm gonna learn two more. Just yeah. Well, so that uh, can be demotivating or encouraging for me. I take it as encouragement. I'm, I'm like, that's it. It's possible. Um, but I think it's a, as Sander was saying, man, it's about practice because I learned English for 10 years. When I arrived here, and I really need to speak on a day-to-day basis and like really fast. That was really hard. So if you are like I don't know du- Duolingo or you are following some YouTube or online courses, it's really about the practice. It's really about having someone, maybe even a call and trying that. And we are going to feel silly at the beginning. And I think that's a barrier that you really face that is feeling clumsy, feeling silly, feeling like mm-hmm. uh, they're going to laugh at me. And the best way to do that is to get small rewards. So you put a little goal that is, I'm going to order an entire meal in a restaurant that speaks that language, for instance, uh, Spanish. And then you do it, you rehearse a lot, even if it's a bit mechanical. And then you go there and you do it and you get your first reward. Mm-hmm. Or for instance, you want to learn how to play guitar. Your first goal is to play one song surrounded by your friends. Hopefully they are drunk because they're going to love it even more. And that's it. That's your goal. You try it and you get your reward because we are always aiming so high. Like we want to speak fluently already. That's too big. The mm-hmm. reward is too far away and it's going to be like depressing to try to learn that skill if you don't get these little rewards. So that's why I like to, sounds familiar, maybe in a, about agile podcast, <laughs> just breaking down into incrementals and getting this, this reward and these milestones well, little I, by little. I, I think being just in life, but yes, in what we do for a living as well, but being willing to look stupid or to be wrong or to be less than perfect for some people, right? Like that's the old quote, yeah. perfect is the enemy of progress. Um, I think that's that's a huge takeaway in connection to what we, we all do for a living. That's it. We got a few silly, got a few clumsy. It's yeah, the first yeah. time nobody. It's a, it's, it's a funny thing that you mentioned that because one of the things Arthur just texted me on WhatsApp just prior to sorry for for sharing this um, just prior to the recording and he's like I'm a lot more nervous to do this recording than to be in front of a, an audience of uh, one and a half thousand people like, huh why I'm not nervous who's nervous <laughs> you're nervous not me <laughs> well maybe so it's how because you, it's how did you get into public speech? Is it is it because Maybe. it's forever and a room of uh, a thousand people is you know when you're off the stage it's it feels over unless it's being recorded. It's been recorded. Most of them is being recorded, but still. Gotcha. But I don't know. I I think it's because I practice more. It's been nine years that I'm speaking at conferences and podcasts. Maybe I did ten. Hmm. So it's like, you know, it's a new skill. It's Although it's public speaking, it's not something that you know what it's going to be like, you know, the next slide. It's just a conversation. So for me, the biggest work I'm doing right now and before joining this call is like, okay, I'm going to catch up with my 
my dear friend Sander, I'm going to get to know Jim and just like exchange. So that's the, the work I'm, I'm doing before. So I don't feel more nervous. And by the way, I'm going to, I'm, I'm speaking too much. Sorry. Oh, nervous. You're a guest, right? This is what you should be doing. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. One hour is like, this guy's not going to shut up. What the heck? Um, something I tell a lot for, uh, to my mentees, people that want to go further in their public speaking journey is that the word nervous comes from Latin, nervous. And that was used like, it literally means energy, muscle, fiber. And that is used metaphorically to say that you are feeling energized, that you're feeling empowered, that you're feeling ready. So whenever you're feeling nervous, it's your body telling you, wake the heck up. Whatever is coming next is important for you. It's important to you. It's not just, otherwise you would go on a podcast like this, you're going to be like, yeah, okay, All right, cool, everybody. When is it going to uh, end? Okay. Uh, you know, it's not that it's being nervous means like, man, get ready. Your body is releasing like adrenaline is pumping blood faster. It's making you ready for whatever is that thing. So you should see that as a good thing instead of like entering the downward spiral. I'm nervous. Oh my God. I'm nervous. I know that my mouth is, oh, my mouth is becoming dry because my mouth is dry. I'm more nervous. Oh, they see that I'm nervous. Now no, I'm more nervous. It's, it's the downward spiral. And then you're just like, I never want to do that again. Yeah. And you get traumatized, right? It's easy to, to just give in to that and say, all right, no, not, never going to do it ever again. But I think this that's one of the beauties of this, this specific podcast. Uh, as I told you just before uh, the recording, we never prepare questions on this. We don't prepare. Rarely do we have a topic. And that's how it should be. At least this is a, a setting where it's like having a conversation with us in the bar. And, well, you have experience with me in a bar. Uh, it's not that much different. It's relaxed. It's down to earth. But on a stage, it's, it's a different thing. Like you, you, eyes are aimed at you, and they're they're piercing through. And I think if you're ner- if you're not nervous for one of those things, at least not even a little bit, then it's easy to slack off. I think nerves keeps you keep you on your toes, and that's that's keeping you on the edge of your game. You should have some nerves. Yeah. Yeah. Nerves show that you care. I think one in life, that's been one thing I've realized, but I have also had a lot of experiences that they can spiral and you can let them get the better of you and they can, you know, ruin your experience. They can uh, make it highly likely. You're not going to do that thing again. And I think how we respond to it and use it, no matter how it goes the first time, is really critical. I mean, they talk about grit. I mean, I don't know if that word translates to either Dutch or Portuguese, mm-hmm. but you know, there's a very good TED talk out there about grit. And I think it relates to this idea of discipline, which is discipline, some would define it as doing the thing that needs done even when you don't want to. And I think that's just a critical skill to build or develop or improve is do I do what needs done, whether it's for myself or for others, or just, you know, in general, even when I don't want to, when I am afraid or when it's hard or when I'd rather be doing something else. And how do you balance that with, is it really the most important thing? Like, you know, there's times where I struggle to kick back on the couch and watch a good movie because I'm like, well, there's all these things I could be doing. 
Yeah. And sometimes my partner or somebody else is like, yeah, but you can take time for yourself. You're not a jerk for doing that. You're not lazy for taking a night off. I don't know if you either should. of you I don't know if either of you struggle with with thoughts like that, but I know I do. Sunder's been my therapist over the last couple months at times when those thoughts maybe get the better of me. Yeah. And I appreciate you being open about that as well. I mean it's uh, it's it says a lot about you that you're able to share such an, those intimate kind of things. Well, you know that that's me. Like I've always been told is you know, and I I honestly remember this from I don't know probably like age eight on. People being like writing in my report card. Jim is Jim is very open and. Jim um, wears his heart on his sleeve and all this. And my friends will tell you this. My friends that have been my friends for a very, very long time is like, nobody really has to wonder with me. They, If I'm happy, they know. If I'm upset with them, they know. It, whatever they know, there's not like this subtext. And I'm not going to say it's always good and that everybody should be like me. But, you know, TMI is kind of like my default position, Sunder. So I, I'm, an, I'm a chronic overshare. Let's put it that way. Too much information. Like sometimes like you can almost be too open, too vulnerable, too um, transparent. Um, Because sometimes... I I didn't feel that at all now. No, no, not now. But I I just mean... that does... Yeah. 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 No, but not everyone is used to that. I mean, uh, uh, as I was just just telling you, Jim, just prior to... We hit the record button. I'm in this WhatsApp group together with Arthur, Chris Stone, and then Tom Siebenacher and uh, Fred Deichler. So shout out to those guys as well. And um, all of them, they're proficient public speakers, but they're still nervous. And they are able to share whatever feelings that they have. Uh, same with Chris. Chris is a renowned guy by now. He has built an amazing platform for himself. He's doing really well. And the same for Arthur. Both of you guys have a massive following on LinkedIn. You're doing tremendous stuff. Uh and still you're nervous, but you're very down to earth about that. And just being so open and transparent and, 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 and making sure that people know that you feel nervous, that's a normal kind of thing, lowers the bar for other people to speak up about how they feel or, or that they're anxious about something, that they're nervous about something. It's normal. I would yeah. be freaked the fuck out if someone is continuously like laid back and, and always uh, uh, or never experiences any nerves for these kind of things. Yeah. Totally. And I, I do share the same as Phil, as Jim just described, because uh, I just became a father. I, I say just, but it's already one year and two months, but I think I'm going to be saying just forever because we are learning every day. It's like, she's going to be like 25 years old. I'm like, I just became a father because every, every and then time. She's like, new, no, right? you're old, dad. Fuck you're off. old, dude. Come on, bro. <laughs> Uh, but I do feel the same. Sometimes I feel like I cannot just, I don't know, chill and watch a, a YouTube video because I'm running behind, right? There is things to do here at home that are things to do for work. Personally, I'm always like, ah, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's always accelerated. And then you feel guilty to just stop and watch a movie. So I do share that feeling, man. Yeah. Uh, and talking about... Uh, well, n- yeah, no, yeah. no, go ahead. Yeah. You're not alone. <laughs> right. You know, and you're not, you're not, you're never far from somebody who has a similar experience when you're a new father or a new parent. Right. Yeah. But what I found is it did, it didn't matter. Like it didn't matter how many times somebody's like, oh, well, I've been there and this, and they tried to give me advice and they were extremely well-intentioned. 
but I'm just curious if you have found how you've found that when you're struggling with something, if uh, it is helpful to hear like other people's challenges with the same thing as a new father. Mastering Agility only works with organizations aligned with our values, and that's exactly why we are excited to work with our sponsor. Scrum Match is the free platform for professionals run by professionals. On Scrum Match, true Scrum Masters get hired by companies serious about their popular framework. The awesome people behind this platform have decades of experience, among them a professional Scrum trainer for Scrum.org. They have interviewed, trained, and coached hundreds of like-minded people, and they use this exact experience to make you stand out from the crowd and help you get in touch with companies looking for true Scrum Masters. So go to scrummatch.com and sprint to your dream job. Ah, for sure. I, I see that the same as at work. We encourage people to have a community of practice. Say, hey, let's share the standards, let's share the challenges, let's share the, the lessons learned. And I see the same as, as becoming a father. You're always asking people that already went through the jungle. And it's like, bro, you really can try this and this and that. This happened with me. This is something that you can go further. You can search about Montessori. You can search about Waldorf schools and things like that. So it is a bit of community of practice. And something that was very helpful was this uh, training before becoming a father, before the birth, that you have eight couples in a room. All of them, like, are they're going to become parents of pretty much on the same month and we are all learning together like how to do the basic things how to change the diaper how to do that how to do this and we create a whatsapp group and you're always sharing knowledge sharing challenges and prices like hey check this stroller this is a pretty good one and there is a discount on that one you know so i think it's very helpful and some people are like i'm going crazy with the lack of sleep and other, other people are like what is what is sleep i already forgot what is that Mm-hmm. So it definitely helps to to be talking about that with people that are either going through the same or they went through already and they can give some hints. Yeah. So it's something that you did with building your, your public speaking skills as well. And riffing on that, why did you get into public speaking? My first presentation was, I think, 2014 at work, like somehow big group. Was one of the worst presentations one could ever give. Lovely. Do you know Prezi? Prezi is an alternative for PowerPoint. You can zoom in, zoom out, you turn. But I got too hyped. I got too excited about the thing. I was zooming in, zooming out. Five minutes in, somebody raised their hand and said, I'm going to throw up. I'm like, wait, what? Bro, <laughs> you put so much zoom in and out and twisting. I'm going crazy. The slides had so much work, like so much text. I was reading it basically. And then 20 minutes in, the, the boss says, I thought it was about continuous improvement, uh, continuous improvement and automation. This is about Agile and, and Scrum. What, what? So I didn't manage all the expectations. It was terrible, terrible. And I'm like, but I'm going to have to do that more often. I cannot just give up and be traumatized as we were speaking before, right? And then I have another opportunity here in Belgium. Say, hey, there is a talk that can be given. We are the sponsors. Who would like to give this talk? And I'm like, what are you going to talk about? No idea. (laughs) Let's see. So I co-created, which, by the way, it's a very nice way to start or to try sometimes. It's doing with a a partner. And I know that you, you do that, Sander, with Tom. And that is nice for you because you have someone 
to back you up if you forget something. While the other person is speaking, you can think about what is coming next. And it's nice for the audience because it's two styles and two voices, etc. So that's how I did the first one officially in a conference 2015. And then I say to everybody, it's like, the mosquito beat me. It's gone. Like just down the rabbit hole now, man. So the first year, 2015, was two conferences. Afterwards was five and then five again and then 15 and then 15 and then 20 and then pandemic, seven, <laughs> then five per year. And this year is already 25. So I'm Jesus. totally hyped. I love doing that. Man. It's really something that gives energy. It's tiring because you got to prepare, it's feeling nervous, but you can go to a new country. You can learn new language, meet new people. You can go for free to the conference to start with. You can see other speakers. I, I, I can see more benefits like Jim. So uh, I'm wondering, um, and I don't know you, right? Like I purposely didn't research you at all and just kind of wanted to come in and meet you and all this. And I'm really intrigued by this. My journey started a little bit similar in public speaking is um, I got on a panel. I asked to moderate a panel. Somebody said, hey, we want you at the conference. What do you want to do? I'm like, I want to moderate a panel. That feels easy. Feels like a lower barrier of entry. So anyway, maybe we could talk about that later or some other time. But um, what do you, do you experience what I call the conference high as a presenter? Because I know as an attendee, <laughs> like when I go to a conference, I'm overwhelmed with excitement mm. and I network mm. and I, those hallway conversations and I go into sessions and I leave and I'm, I'm fiercely taking notes. And you know, if it's a two day conference for two days, it's like, I, I'm, I'm just shot out of a can. I like I'm turned way up to the maximum engagement level. And then reality hits and I go back to work and real life sits in. And maybe I have a young kid like you at home, or I've got an overwhelming list of to do's and I lose that. And I, one thing, if you, if the three of us could ever figure out how to help an attendee maintain that high, or, or even extend it or revisit it, man, that would be something. Do you have any tips or thoughts about that? I actually developed a pill for that. Uh, it's right here and you can take it. It's just a thousand euros and <laughs> I don't know, I just took a random stuff. That's illegal here in the U.S. <laughs> and it doesn't cost a thousand, it costs 10,000. But anyway, go ahead. I have it. I have it. I have it here. <laughs> I think it's part of that because if it would be all the time like this, we either would feel exhausted or it wouldn't be called high anymore. It would be just like random and then we would reach other highs. It's like really becoming a junkie, conference junkie. Good point. I think I am a conference junkie. Um, I heard once I was now in Cornwall in England and a lady said something very interesting to me. After meeting many people at the end of the conference, she was in the corner and I went to talk to her. So it's all good. She's like, it's all good. Uh, it's just that my people budget is off. It's gone. I'm like what? Yeah. My people budget. Like I, it's, it's too many conversations and chatting and things. Now I, I need to just rest a little. It's too much information and it's okay. It's the first time I got that way with that expression. I'm like, that's true. Like we are spending energy, our focus and we cannot focus for more than nine seconds. I don't know how people are still there in the in this call, but um, imagine two days 
too many things, too many mm -hmm. uh, new topics and people. So I think that's part of the magic. It's once, and then you're looking forward to the next one in one or two months. Yeah, yeah, I agree. 100%. Being high like that or or that elevated, you you couldn't maintain that. But I think it's yeah. if some. How do you capitalize on that excitement that maybe you unlock or that you inspire? And help it get over that hurdle from I felt good for Arthur's talk to here is how I applied something the next month or the next week or here is how I use something, even if it's one tiny little thing. Like, you know, throughout our weeks, we probably are inspiring people and motivating and helping all the time and we're learning. But it's mm -hmm. how do we help somebody move something from either a theory to a practice or from something that they could do to something they have done? Well, that's one thing. Uh, something that we did in Helsinki, because we had two talks, Tom and I. One was about tons, the one that we always do, and the other one was about burnouts. Now, burnouts is the, the topic was uh, from, from burn downs to burnouts, right? And that's a pretty heavy subject, especially if it's during the halfway through during the second day. So people are starting to doze off. It's it's a heavy thing. So we were aware of that. So what we did to make sure that people remember, but also that they they keep energizing, they they are actually actively attending, is that we just had them talk to each other mid presentation. Just stand up, find someone. And talk about your experience having either having a burnout, having symptoms of a burnout, or seeing this with someone else. A, that lowers the bar for people to, to be open about this because they don't know the other person. And then usually it's a lot easier, especially in these kind of conferences, because they are there. They are in the same subject. So rest assured that you're all interested in it. But it makes the blood flow again. And it's such a different thing than always just sitting there, absorb the knowledge because you're just listening to someone talk. Uh, and it's, it's halfway through one of the conversations. It's more like a workshop kind of thing than just leaning back and be like a knowledge sponge. It's, it's impossible, like Arthur said, to, to continuously do that. So that has helped me to, to assure that people retain that. Yeah, that's a good one. And sometimes you are... One thing I'm always focusing when creating a talk is like, this got to be packed with takeaways that they can use the day after. Three things, three pillars of my talks are first packed with takeaways, concrete. They can use the day after, like boom, ready to go. If it's a workshop, a way to facilitate, if it's a technique, if it's a tool, if it's a candle, whatever is there, like packed. The other one is that it's going to, they are really going to feel more energized by the end of the talk. So if they entered one way, they live like, ooh, let's go. So more energetic, inspired. So I play ukulele in the middle or the beginning and I move around and I go crazy. Like I couldn't be giving a TED talk on the red dot. That's just impossible. I would be going around and blowing the others. And the third one is um, they really feel one hour past like 20 minutes because it was engaging, it was fun, like there are stories. So I really try to focus on these three pillars and about the ones that are the takeaways. I think it's nice at the end to just focus on the top three, maybe, or one key message. Otherwise, people are taking all the notes and they're overwhelmed with all of that. So like, what is the one thing that there is one thing I wanted to leave this session with is that. And so, ah, okay, 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 okay. 
that might be helpful. But do you yeah, ask people that as well? Like just give uh, give this question to the audience. Like if there's one thing that you're going to remember, take away just to bring them back. I do a lot of the one, two, for all liberating structure because then it's like you get your own insights and then you talk to your neighbor and then more insights and then four and then the whole group normally you're like oh i didn't think about that that's true or i was i don't know distracted or taking a note and i missed that thing mm-hmm. uh, but yeah yeah one thing i do as a conference attendee um is i i revisit my notes like even just this week i was prepping for something and i i have a stack of notebooks in the closet and i go get them and I'm looking for something that I knew I captured at a certain time. So I'm like, oh, I know that's in the uh, the yellow notebook with Homer Simpson on the cover because that's the one I was using at this conference. And I find that page. But then I also find other stuff like, oh, look, I, I did want to go look at this. And I bought a book on eBay because mm-hmm. I found this note that I took last year that somebody recommended. And I went and I got it. So... I do think however somebody does that is good is there were things that were helpful for me at the time. There's things that were helpful for me in the future. And then um, it's sharing that and like, yeah, I found this really useful. Like 15% solutions is another liberating structure that I think might apply to a conference like this is what can you get started with right now? And in with no budget, no nothing, just, you know, um, clear path forward. That's kind of circling back to what Arthur was mentioning in the, in the beginning is that people try to, or tend to overcomplicate things. They they aim for really big stuff. They try to aim to, to uh, speak the language fluent immediately. But what is that, that one single thing that you can start to apply tomorrow without needing anyone's consent, without needing any additional resources. And again, I don't mean people. Uh, or I don't mean, uh, I don't mean people. Like, what is it that you can improve without needing that? Yeah. Yeah. But just maybe one thing that I don't know yet about Jim. What are you based, Jim? Ohio, in the United States. It's Ohio. Have you been around here in Europe for a conference here and there? Or? Oh yeah, I've been to been to France a few times, been to England a number of times, Scotland. Um, I haven't traveled internationally specifically for a conference, but I've done work in many many other places. All my conference speaking engagements have been in the U.S. All right, Sander, I give to you the job to pull Jim. Yeah, dude. I don't know, co-creating or like proposing and coming. Put me on the Zebia private jet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what's this coach crap that I'm flying? Like, why is there not like champagne? And why am I not flying um, whatever this super fancy airline is with all the cool flight attendants? But yeah, make it happen, Sunder. <laughs> we'll make it happen, definitely. And just for your information, Arthur. I'm flying to Ohio on the other side uh-huh. to teach with to teach with Jim. Jim is a PSD as well, just like me. We're teaching a PSPO advanced class in Ohio, uh, in Columbus, Ohio, Dublin to be specific. So that's going to be a blast. Early October, second and third. So if you're listening and you are around, join us. Yeah. But we are talking that's about nice. coming to – I am talking about coming over for the Women in Agile – 
conference in November. And if that happens, that'll that could be a great um, experience out there. Yeah. Oh, but I'm curious, why? Like, do you feel it's different? Um, or is it just uh, getting international and speaking at a conference outside your home country is just a good experience? Because you could have a beer, man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's, That's the minimum. <laughs> That's all, man. Okay. You don't need any other reason. Perfect. <laughs> but now, seriously. No, I was serious. But now, going deeper mm-hmm. on the topic. It's beautiful. You can go to another country, meet other people, the culture, the food, and learn the language. And ah, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. And many conferences, and I think it's increasing the number of conferences that are covering the costs. Because when I started, I was submitting, I don't know, maybe a hundred times per year, getting accepted 10 or five or one. Mm-hmm. And some, I don't know, maybe 90%, they wouldn't cover anything. Mm-hmm. So I would really go my own expenses and I wouldn't really see that as an investment. It's kind of like I'm learning, I'm traveling the world and I'm training myself in this public speaking thing that is just communication. Basically, it's not just about being on stage, it's about communicating. Um, But now I see more and more conferences. We cover 300 euros, we cover 500, we cover the ticket plus the, the hotel and we're like, and some others, uh, I gave a few keynotes this year, like five last year, a few, uh, it's paid. So even more if it's inside the company, I, I already gave some talks for Mercedes-Benz, for Nike, for Orange, and I think they have budget enough to pay yeah. for us. And it depends on your platform as well. I mean, if you're just starting, it's, it's a lot more challenging to, to get to such a position. But the more that you gain traction, the more you get your name out, which inherently doing conferences and putting your name out builds that platform but the more platform that you have the more inclined that uh organizers are to to pay for your tickets and pay for your stuff yeah yeah i'm curious do you have any tips for listeners or the audience on building that platform like because uh, you know i know you have a big linkedin following and clearly you're successful in the conference world but um any tips that you could give is there is there a way to share a screen? I'm gonna. I'm not gonna start the whole talk here. Yes, uh, but there a is an image. Share button. There's a screen share button. On no. The button side. Yes. It's weird name. How do they call even that? It's like it's weird. Okay. Uh, see which one? My God, it's a different tool here. So I'm gonna see if I find it. I just created this two days ago. I don't know if you can see. Yep, I can see it. That, that's my journey. It's it's a kind of a Gantt chart for my journey. First talk in 2015, I still submit talks to dozens of conferences every year. When rejected, I ask for feedback and I adjust the talk. When accepted, I ask for feedback and I adjust my talk. So there you have in yellow in the middle, like the, the number of conferences roughly. And then soon enough, you're going to be invited to new conferences. All of a sudden, somebody on LinkedIn is going to just drop you a message and say, hey, there is this conference here in Romania. But would you like to join? I'm like, uh-huh. Um, but of course, you got to make some noise, right? I was very, uh, the imposter syndrome or feeling pretentious when you are sharing on LinkedIn. Hey, I spoke in San Diego, mm-hmm. California. And then people might feel afraid of doing that. I, I was really sharing as like, I was feeling proud of that. And I just wanted to share some happy news. So somehow it's going to go through your network and somebody's going to get you know that you're a speaker. 
and then you get invited to new conferences. Some organizers might invite you back, maybe in the next year, maybe in a few years. All of a sudden, people are going to start recommending you. I don't know, somebody's going to post on LinkedIn, I'm looking for speakers for this conference. And then you have somebody completely random tagging you. And you're like, oh my God. And it's really like, I got goosebumps. It's like, I, I we didn't meet. It's like this, this person saw my talk somewhere and is already recommending. Um, and I always ask like, where did you see me, man? Thanks so much for, for, the, for this recommendation. And yeah, you get some keynote here and there and you get the first paycheck. And that's when you call your mother and say, mom, yeah. <laughs> I got paid <laughs> for speaking for 30 minutes or for one hour. And of course, it's not just the 30 minutes or one hour because there is 10 years experience in agile coaching and scrum mastering, plus pre preparing the talk and, and trying to deliver this nice message in a nice way. And this year, I created this challenge of creating one new talk every month. My average was one or two talks per year. So literally picking up myself again and say, you have many ideas for new talks, just go crazy and go there and test them at meetups and other conferences. Mm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think this is somehow how I built my platform. Going crazy, submitting, getting adjusting. I never gave the talk, the same talk twice. Ah, well, that I was going to ask about that. Never. I was going to ask about that. That's never. Cool. Is it the same talk? Yes, but not the same. Maybe the title changed. Maybe the abstract changed. Maybe I, I pivoted the, the way I tell the story. Maybe I added the one story to that. Maybe I play ukulele at the end instead of the beginning. I never give the same talk twice. It's but always it changing and experimenting. It does mean that you really need to embrace that, that growth mindset because it's really easy or hard, depending on how you look at it, to submit something and it was successful. And then you're like, ah, I'm going to do this over and over and over and over again. And then someone else comes up to you and he says, well, I didn't like that. Who are you to judge my talk? <laughs> yeah, that's I've that's seen that happen so man. often. But yeah. that's how you grow, right? Collect that feedback. Ask people what you think. And it's the same about this podcast. If you have any recommendations for us to improve on whatever side, that's the only way that you can really improve the message that you're delivering. And again, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. So ask your audience. That's something that, that Tom and I have included at the end of every every um, conference that we that we do. There's a, uh, there's a QR code to, uh, what is it? Any of those survey platforms. Mentimeter, Zlito. Yes, exactly. That something one. like that. Ask people what they think and what you can improve and what they like about it. Because then you'll get to where you are now. And that is where we have to add a break for this episode, unfortunately. But don't be sad. We will continue our discussion with Arthur in the next episode. So join us again in a few days. And we will continue this lovely conversation. That is all for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, let us know by hitting that like button. Share it with friends and colleagues, sharing a message on LinkedIn, joining our warm and welcoming Discord community, or attend recordings as a virtual audience. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes. We hope you'll tune back in for the next episode of the Mastering Agility podcast.